Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. I hope you have a Bible to read along with. I hope you've got something to take some notes on. If you got those two things, I'll love you forever. We're in Galatians chapter 2 together this morning. Uh, a few years ago, my family and I took a trip to New York City, and one of the things we got to visit was, of course, the Empire State Building. It was my first time, and it did not disappoint. It was really incredible. So I want you to imagine this scene with me. Imagine that we go to the Empire State Building, and when we arrive outside on the sidewalk, I pull out a roll of duct tape. And I start to tear off strips of duct tape, and I put one side at the base of the outside wall and the other side of the tape on the sidewalk. I just keep doing that, duct, tape, uh, duct taping the building to the sidewalk, strip after strip. And you would look at that and you would say, hey, that's really weird, but this is New York City and it's really only the 15th weirdest thing I've seen in the last two hours. And we would all agree on that. But then you might ask me, Cody, what are you doing? Why are you duct taping the building to the sidewalk? And I might say, well, you know, uh, I'm just not sure I can really trust the construction of the building. I want to make sure that it's as secure as possible. And you would say, I think you can trust it, that the people who built this, the people who put the work into it, knew what they were doing. And this building stood for many decades. I, I think it's pretty safe. And I would say, ah, but you know, I just don't feel like it's as safe as it could be. And so every little bit helps, right? So here I am, I'm just doing my bit just to add to it. And, and it doesn't hurt, it only helps. And then you would say, actually, it doesn't help. You're making the building uglier. And this makes no sense whatsoever. You're adding nothing to the structure or the safety of this building. And you need to stop it. And I would say, tomato, tomato. And there we go. Now, that whole scenario is ridiculous. You know that. So why then do we apply that same sort of thinking to our salvation? Why is it so hard for us to believe that the work Jesus did to save us is enough? What's the work that Jesus did to save us? Well, he is God who came to us. He's born of a virgin and he lived his life and he died your death. At the cross, he took all of God's wrath for your sin because he loves you. He died in your place for your sin, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And, and when he did all of that work, he didn't do it to make salvation possible. He did it to complete salvation, to finalize it once and for all, to say, it is finished. This is it. The work is done. And he promises that everyone who turns to him, everyone that trusts in him will be saved. So is his work enough or not? I think so many of us really struggle to trust that the work of Christ is sufficient to save us. And those doubts come out in so many different ways. It might be a feeling like you're not saved, or it might be good works that you do or bad works that you avoid in order to add to your salvation. Maybe you think if you have enough good, more good than bad at the end of your life, God will do well for you. And if that's where you find yourself, then Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is for you. Paul wrote this letter to churches in this region called Galatia because they had been duped by false teachers. Paul preached the work of Christ is enough. Believe it. Trust in him. But then these false teachers came in behind him and they perverted that message. And they said, you need to believe and 
You have to add all of these Jewish practices to your life. And so Paul is fighting for the souls of these people that he loves with this letter. He's fighting for your soul as well. So if you've ever doubted the security of your salvation, if you've ever said, I don't feel saved, if, if you've ever tried to earn God's favor, then you need this passage today. And my purpose in preaching this passage is for you to trust completely in Christ's work for your salvation. And I'm going to do that, hopefully, by giving you three reasons for you to trust entirely in the work of Christ. Now we're reading Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I want you to hit the pause button, and we're going to flash it on the screen. And I want you to make sure you read through it. Don't skip over this part. Read through the passage. When you're done, hit play, and I'll pick up with you there. So I want to share with you three reasons why you can trust entirely in Christ's work for your salvation, why we don't have to add anything to it. And the first of those reasons is this, Christ's work is sufficient to completely save. It may seem like a redundant statement, but it is a true statement that we need to get inside us this morning. Christ's work is sufficient to completely save. When we get to chapter 2, Paul is still defending the gospel. He's still speaking against the false teachers, and he tells a story from his past to help the Galatian churches understand how powerful the work of Christ is to save and why we don't have to add anything to Christ's work to make our salvation more secure. So Paul tells us about a trip he took to Jerusalem. This is, in fact, his second trip to Jerusalem after his salvation. If you were to go back to chapter 1, you can sort of track Paul's timeline. Uh, if it starts with Paul being saved, uh, being called by Christ on the Damascus Road, he says three years later he made his first trip to Jerusalem, and then 14 years later, I take that to mean 14 years after his salvation event, he made his second trip to Jerusalem. And on this second trip, he took two people with him, Barnabas, who is a well-known and well-respected Christian uh, in the early church. Also, he's a Christian who comes from a Jewish background. And the second person with them is Titus. Titus is a new convert, and Titus is from a Gentile background. He's a Greek by culture. Uh, and so he's not Jewish in any way. Paul, Barnabas, Titus, they go to Jerusalem. Paul says because of a revelation he's had, God's spoken to him and said, you need to go and have this meeting. And so they go meet with the apostles, the pillars of the church, as Paul calls them. And Paul brings Titus along almost like a test case. Now, we've got to be really careful here about the way we understand this whole scene with Paul, Titus, and the other apostles there. Paul's not coming to ask the apostles whether or not Titus is saved. He's there to tell the apostles Titus is saved. And there's nothing Jewish about this brother. He heard the gospel, and he believed, and he's saved. Are we on the same page? That's the essence of this meeting that Paul's describing with the apostles. But still, it's, it's, the question lingers in the air, is the work of Christ enough to save Titus or not? And that's probably the same question you've asked before. I've asked it. Have you ever doubted your salvation? 
Have you ever been in that place where you, you just didn't feel like you were saved? And it might be for any number of reasons. It could be the result of an extended season of sin in your life. It, it might be because you're in a dry time spiritually. It could just be that you're plagued by doubt uh, and uncertainty about your salvation. And in those moments, we stand with Titus and we're asking the question, is Christ enough? And how do the apostles answer in chapter 2? Well, in verse 3, Paul tells us this. He says, not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That's the big question. Cutting his flesh is the covenant symbol in Judaism. And the question is, does a non-Greek have to have his flesh cut and take on these other practices to really be saved? And the answer from the apostles, the answer from Paul is no. A non-Jew, a Gentile, needs only to hear the gospel and believe in the work of Christ in order to be saved. So the apostles didn't compel Titus to be circumcised. They recognized this man is truly saved because he heard and he believed. Now, I've often had this conversation with people where they will say to me, um, Cody, I don't feel like I'm saved. And the, the thought is, look, if we're saved, then like every day is going to be rainbows and lollipops. I'm walking on my tiptoes and it's sunshine everywhere I go and things are awesome. But that's just not the human experience, is it? So people will often say, I don't feel saved. If you said that before, you probably have. Well, I've got good news for you. Our salvation is not based on how we feel. It is based on promises in God's word. And so I want to encourage you to not believe these lying feelings inside of you. I want you to believe the word of God, the word of God above what you feel. And so to help you, I want to give you um, what I would call a battle verse, a, a little verse, a little line of scripture that you can memorize and you can pull it out and use it when you need to. So it's found in John chapter 3, verse 18. Just that first line, John 3, 18, Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, anyone who believes in me is not condemned. Anyone who believes in me is not condemned. He does not say anyone who feels like they believe in me. He just says anyone who believes in me is not condemned. John 3, 18, put that in your back pocket. And when the tempter begins to lie to you and try to convince you that you are not loved and you have not been shown grace and you have not been shown mercy and you don't deserve it and you are the worst and how could Christ ever love you? When those lies creep in, let the word of God defend you. Hear the voice of Jesus reassuring you, anyone who believes in me is not condemned because the work of Christ is sufficient to completely save anyone who believes. There's a second reason why you should trust in the work of Christ. It's because this, Christ's work is sufficient to withstand attack. Christ's work is sufficient to withstand attack. Now in verses 4 and 5, Paul describes the efforts of false brothers, false teachers to infiltrate uh, the church and attack his message of salvation through faith alone. That had been happening in the Jerusalem church. It was happening, of course, in the Galatian churches as well. And uh, isn't that wild to think about that there are spies 
who are getting into the church, pretending to be believers so they can collect information and then use it against the church and against the people worshiping there. The early church was a hotbed of soap opera tension. Uh, and so anyways, Paul describes what it's like. These false brothers have infiltrated the church and they're spreading lies and trying to uh, destroy what Christ has built. And now here's our challenge with this particular passage, and in fact with the whole book of Galatians. We don't have a one-to-one -one comparison for these false brothers or for the Judaizers. Uh, it's not as if we have secret people trying to get into South Shore Baptist Church and add works to our gospel of grace. So how then are we to relate to this passage in this scenario? Well, here's what I would say. I think we can take the Judaizers, the false brothers of Galatians, and equate them with modern-day social pressures to abandon the gospel or to disbelieve the gospel in some measure. Those social pressures are voices from within the church and without the church that would tell you in so many ways that Christ is not enough. So it could be a religious voice. And look, we've got to be careful here that the enemy to the Galatian churches was within the Galatian churches. It wasn't some wild left-wing liberal radical outside group. It was people in the church. So we have to be aware that there could be religious non-gospel pressure to abandon the gospel. That voice might say to you, uh, you know what, you don't really need to be saved. You're just fine as you are. Or that voice might say, mm, faith is never going to be enough. You need to add these works to your life. Not only might you face a religious non-gospel voice, you might face a non-religious non-gospel voice. Voices from outside, voices from culture that would say, here's what we believe today and if you don't join in with us, we cancel you. So what are you going to do when that pressure comes to your front door? I hope you'll do what Paul said he did in verse 5. He said, we did not give up and submit to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Paul resisted the Judaizers. Why? for the sake of the Galatian churches, so that the gospel would get to these people and they could hear the gospel and believe it and be rescued by it. And this is what God's people have always done. Did you know this? Did you know that God's people have withstood every attack that has been launched against the gospel? The gospel has withstood threats from armies and emperors and swords and starvation and homelessness and execution. God's people have endured those threats and more so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. The only way you and I get the gospel as we know it today is through the faithful sacrifice of countless anonymous Christian women and men through the ages. So don't be swayed by voices from cultures within religion or outside religion that would try to take you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ's work on the cross outlasts every enemy. It holds firm. And that gives you and I perseverance also in the battles we face in our faith. 
Why is Christ's work enough? It's enough because it has withstood every attack throughout the ages. You can have confidence in it because it saves completely. You can have confidence in Christ's work because it withstands attack. The third reason for you to have confidence in the work of Christ is because Christ's work is sufficient for all people. It is sufficient for every person of every background on this planet. Uh, in verses 6 through 10, Paul describes in fuller detail his interaction with the apostles in Jerusalem. It's really fascinating stuff. Uh, he, Paul seems a little standoffish at first. Uh, he's not impressed with their celebrity, so to speak. And there might be something instructional there for us as we think about our interactions with Christian celebrities, uh, whatever that means. Uh, and so Paul points out, he says, you know what, I go to visit these guys, but God doesn't show favoritism. And he's not trying to be uh, disrespectful. He's just laying out clear lines of authority. There's God in control, and then there's everybody else. It's not God, Jerusalem apostles, and then Paul, and then other people. It's just God and then the church. That's it. And so Paul is coming to make sure that the gospel he preaches is the same gospel they preach. Now, Paul's not looking for them to approve it or to fix it in any way. This has been Paul's argument throughout. He received the gospel from Jesus. He doesn't need Peter to sign off on it. Jesus has signed off on it. But he's there to make sure the message is the same, because if it's not, it's going to be devastating for the early church. And what does he say at the end of verse 6? He says, they added nothing to me. In the way we read that, it sounds like Paul is again being disrespectful or he's saying that I, I don't need the apostles. They don't pay my bills. I'm not going to listen to them. That's not what he's saying. When he says they added nothing to me, he's saying they did not change my gospel message. It turns out we're preaching the same message. Paul says, here's the gospel I preach and I received it from Christ. And the apostles say, that's the same message we preach and we also received that from Christ. So there is a sameness here. They're preaching the same message, but what they articulate in this moment is that they are sent with that same message to different audiences. The apostles in Jerusalem, James, Peter, John, and others, they are sent to Jewish audiences. And Paul and his team, they're sent to Gentile audiences. Same gospel, different places, because it's that one and the same message that saves every person who hears and believes. It's the same message for every soul. Now, this is where you and I, we, we have to root ourselves in this gospel. And there's good news for you to know that regardless of your background, regardless of your economic status, regardless of mistakes you've made or mistakes you're going to make, this is the message that will save you. The gospel declares that no matter how messed up we are, anyone can be saved. The gospel says no matter the mistakes we've made or how self-righteous we've become, we can't save ourselves. There's one who will save us and make a way for us. Christ's work is sufficient for all people, non-righteous and the self-righteous alike. And we need to be the kind of people who risk everything on Jesus. We need to just stand before him and not push away this free gift of amazing grace. We need to recognize our need for it and humbly take from Christ the grace that he extends to us through his death and resurrection. Uh, Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, wrote in his book, Ragamuffin Gospel, 
He said, we fluctuate between castigating ourselves and congratulating ourselves because we are deluded into thinking we save ourselves. But when we accept ownership of our powerlessness and helplessness, when we acknowledge that we are paupers at the door of God's mercy, then God can make something beautiful out of us. Jesus has done enough to save you. Do you believe him? Would you please believe him? Here's what we've said this morning about Christ's work, that it's enough to save completely. It withstands every attack, and it is enough to save every person, regardless of our background, regardless of where we come from. And these truths from Galatians chapter 2 ought to solidify your confidence in Christ. You ought to walk away from this passage trusting him, knowing that he holds fast to you. And so are you a Christian who struggles with the security of your salvation? Remember that anyone who believes is not condemned, John 3, 18. And are you a Christian who's trying to add to your salvation by doing things? Well, you can drop that burden and you can rest in the work Christ has done. Glorify him by letting his work be enough for you. Are you a person who's been living to do more good than bad, hoping that in the end God will judge in your favor? That's a dead-end way of living. And I hope you've listened closely to what the Word has said today. And I hope you will trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem with your good-bad scenario. Bad requires death. And Christ has offered that death. He has died that death himself. Your penalty on him because he loves you. And he invites you today to set aside all of your religion and all of your irreligion and embrace him as your savior. Would you say yes to Jesus Christ today? Would you lay aside everything in your life and say, Jesus, you are my everything. You are my life. Would you put aside all the emptiness and the brokenness and let him heal you and forgive you and make you whole today. He loves you so much, and his work is enough for you. What can we add? What can you add to the work of Christ for the sake of your salvation? There's only one thing you can add, and that is your yes. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, help us with our unbelief. Give security to those who are doubting their salvation. Give peace to those who don't feel saved. Give eternal life to those who set aside their, wor their works and trust only in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.